Hi guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits, a Mitra podcast. How are you doing this week, Mike? I'm great, Chris. I was so good. I was thinking about picking up some Maker's Mark for this Ooh. little chat because our boy Stan Hurley, he's pounding a couple of those throughout American Assassin. <laughs> He he likes it so much that he he doesn't want to spill the the bourbon like he doesn't want he really wants to throw the glass but he he doesn't want to spill that bourbon. That's right. He would throw a lot of glasses if those glasses didn't have the bourbon in it. I I am extra hyped this week, Mike. I am I am so excited to talk about this book. It's finally here, American Assassin. We've already recorded our American Assassin movie pod. Had a great time. We look forward to sharing that with you in a couple weeks. But yeah, so Mike actually has a little bit of a surprise for you guys, or not a surprise, but an update yeah. that, he, that he's been itching to share. So why don't you go ahead and share that, Mike? Yeah, we've had this in the works for a little while. I think it came out of an idea that you had. We just really would like to get you guys, the listeners, involved, particularly around American Assassin, because we know how much that book means in the universe of rap fandom. Everybody tends to have an experience with it, the book or the movie. A lot of people, that's where they started. Someone had recommended that book, and that right. was the one that got them hooked. Not, uh, not what the we case. recommend, though. It, yeah, no, I, I do. I, I'm glad that we are doing the publication order, so we really see Vince's writing grow as he grew. But this is the origin, right? This is, right. chronologically speaking, the first Mitch Rap book. So. Because of that, we want to welcome you onto this podcast by sharing with you our voicemail number, where you will have a chance to share any anything you liked about the book, your favorite part of it, your any memory you have reading it, or even the movie. We're going to be talking about the movie in a few weeks after we finish reviewing the book, and so even if you have something to say about the movie, feel free to call us, chime in. We'll select a few of you guys to uh, put your recording on the podcast, and we really want to hear from you. Yes. And that uh, Google voicemail is uh, 202-599-7770, and we'll put all the details in the show notes, so you don't have to write it down right now. Yeah. <laughs> Feel free to just call that number and rant and rave about, like I did, about how much you absolutely hated the movie. <laughs> and some of the decisions made, but absolutely love the book. So again, open-ended. Oh, here's a challenge. Bonus cred, and definitely a shout-out by name for sure, if we get a Limerick. Mm, would love a Limerick. If anybody love a writes limerick. a No Limits Limerick or an American Assassin Limerick, you are guaranteed a shout-out. And you know what? I'll go a step further, Chris. You are guaranteed a Mitrap sticker in the mail. We will get it out to you. Patrons or not patrons, if you write us a limerick, Boom, stickers baby. for everybody. Limericks for stickers. Nice. I like that. little incentive. 202-599-7770. Try to get those in, in the next week or two so we could run it sometime towards the end of June. Nice. Too bad, like you can't pick the numbers. We can do like one eight hundred Mitrap or something like that. <laughs> yeah, M I T C H R A P. How many? How many letters in? Uh, there's eight. I don't know. I, I eight lost numbers. Count. One, two, three, seven. There's seven. Three plus four. Anyway, 
<laughs> Maybe we use like a Minnesota zip code. No, no, oh, that would have been good. That would have been St. Good. Paul. Another. Oh, you just mentioned this to me before we started recording, but uh, another thing we need to enter into the Vince Flynn Memorial um, museum, museum, a pickle pizza. That's right, pickle pizza. Yeah, I saw that a few times on social media. The Flynn pizza from that that restaurant that still makes uh, the pizza Flynn would order. We got We got to get this museum going. We got to get this museum going. We can get a brochure from the restaurant with you know signed by the owner. Highlighting the you know the Vince, with like I a think fake, they call it the with, Vince with like a fake pizza in front it's of it. It's got the yeah. pickles, yeah, nice. Yeah. No, we can like dehydrate a pizza and preserve it. You're a scientist. Some scientific method of preserving a real pizza in the museum. Yeah, I'll, I'll get right on that. Good stuff. Good stuff. You know what else is good stuff? The book we're covering today. Chris, tell us what are we getting into on this pod? All right, the time is finally here. It's June. Right, I think it's June. I don't know. I've, it's I've lost all, all perception of time. We are five days into June as of recording. <laughs> yes, it is June, um, and we are doing American Assassin. So roughly from the beginning of the book to almost midway, and really, you know, kicking it off by starting about starting to talk about um, Mitch's origin. You know, this is his origin story. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna really go deep into the scenes at, at Lake Anna at the farm. Yeah, really excited to talk to you about this today. Let's do it. All right. So, you know, I'm the theme guy, apparently. Uh, right. And one of the interesting things that really jumped out to me from the first half of the book was this line that uh, Mitch had. And, uh, of course, I'm not you, so I don't have the exact quote. But it, he's talking to Hurley. or I think he's talking to Hurley. Or he's, talking he's talking to, to Dr. Lewis. Dr. This Lewis, is the that's what it is. interrogation with Dr. Lewis. Yes. And Dr. Lewis asks him, like, why are you here? Is it is it revenge? And Mitch says, no, not revenge, retribution. Which, you know, you could, those two, two words are pretty, kind of equal, but they have a different spin. So my theme for this episode is retribution, not revenge. And Doc Lewis, being the psychologist that he is, asked Rap to define those terms to really tease out what he means. And I think Rap gives a, a really leveled response of revenge is not calculated. You know, it's it's, it's raw, it happens. Visceral. It's yeah. raw. You any and the thing he gives is I would feel bad or I think you're crazy if you stay up all night thinking about killing a man because he stole twenty bucks from you. Or, you know, he broke into your car and took some CDs or whatever. Remember, this is the early 2000s. Right. Uh, well, actually, <laughs> no, book, 1989 is the This book does a really book. good job of setting you in that time frame, which yeah. is kind of cool. So they take your cassettes or your eight tracks. But anyway, um, <laughs> he says, you'd be, you be crazy if you want revenge on that guy and, you you know, you stay up thinking about him. But someone who deserves retribution, it's morally justified if you go after them and they deserve to die. And and Rap defines that as someone who is a terrorist and takes innocent lives. And so a uh, little difference there between retribution and revenge. One he feels is morally justified and the other one is just kind of a reaction uh, based on emotion. And the doc kind of goes back and tells Kennedy and Stansfield, like, I think this guy meets your profile. Right. Yeah. And meets the profile of what they called the third objective. I like that conversation, Kennedy and Hurley. And Kennedy's like, Stan, you're recruiting all these military guys. 
Sure, they can kick ass, but they're going to stand out like a sore thumb if they try to go undercover in the Middle East or anywhere for being, you know, brutes. And the third objective is get a really pinpointed tip of the spear, deep undercover operative who can get in places and just be an assassin. They, they want a psychological profile, while Hurley really wants more of a physical profile. And that's why the team of Doc Lewis, Kennedy, Hurley, and Stansfield all working together is really going to shape rap into yeah. who he is. Yep. You're right about quotes, though. Because I got quite a few today for you. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> you know, I, I either I quote a lot and highlight as I'm reading. It's a sign of a good book. It, well, yeah, sometimes it means I'm bored and I'm just like, this book is not really doing it for me. So I got to like dig for things and find them. But sometimes I'm just highlighting at will because I'm loving it. Every line is just crushing it for me. And I that was me on American Assassin, just highlighting everything because the writing was so, so awesome, so over the top. And it started with the dedication. We get a nice dedication here, which is something very familiar to most of us rap fans. Yes. And it goes, to the victims of Pan Am Lockerbie terrorist attack and their families. It's fitting. that That's who deserves this book. Yeah, and to me, we've gotten that little one paragraph or you know two-page description of this attack, right, from the, from the very beginning. I even think that we, we see this in Transfer of Power, right? I think so, yeah. Where we, we get maybe a couple pages, a couple paragraphs, you know, discussing his backstory. And you could see that Vince obviously had this idea from the very beginning, wanted to pay tribute to, you know, not, not pay tribute to this attack, but pay tribute to the, the victims of this the attack. Victims. And decides to craft Mitch's drive from the very beginning, you know, out of this attack, right? You know, it, they these terrorists take his his loved one, his high school sweetheart away from him, and that drives him. And obviously, he's you know. And there's another conversation where it's like, I miss my father. Like, I, I miss her. It's 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 not just missing the people who I've lost. It's like they took away right. something that he can never get back. And for Vince to dedicate to the this to them it is saying a lot. And what also is interesting about this, right, is that. Kyle, who ends up taking over for Vince, right. his dad was the one of the first Americans on scene to investigate this. Like it's it's a crazy right. how small world everything is, you know. Right, 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 right. And that's the titular event that sets Mitch off into who he becomes. Right. You know what's interesting though, and this is kind of meta. I was thinking about it when I was reading. Most of us assumed going into this book, we knew about the Lockerbie attack, and we knew that was Rap's motivation. But it's barely mentioned until, like, I think it's about chapter 20 yeah. where Vince gives that full story. And so he's he's even thinking of new readers, maybe maybe years later, who this is going to be their first rap book, and he's not spilling the beans to them right mm -hmm. away. Right. There's, like, a line, I think, in chapter one. There's a line in chapter one that says, you know, he lost someone very dear to him. I don't even think it says his high school sweetheart and all this. And then in chapter 14, Doc Lewis says, do you miss her? And it sets Rap off. And then it's not until I think 20 or so where Vince gives the whole backstory of who Maureen was. And for some reason, my Kindle version said Mary. Did yours yeah, call her Mary? My, uh, George Waddell said Mary, too. I, it maybe was just a nickname, but I 
all the other books, I feel like it was always Maureen. Never Mary. Uh, uh, that actually came up to me before. Or have we been calling her Maureen and it's actually Mary? I don't know. We need to get IT on this. Um, yeah, why was that? I don't know. Maybe Vince just decided to change it. Maybe. Maybe because uh, I had the Kindle version. You had the audiobook version. I wonder. I didn't even look at what the print one has. I'm, I'm almost positive, like at least in Transfer Power, it was Maureen. Oh, no. It's definitely Maureen and all the other books. That's what why this caught me off guard. Similarly... Mitch's, or I think later in the second half, so we won't get into it, he uses an alias, and his alias is Mike Cruz. Right, Mike Cruz. He always uses Mitch Cruz. He always like, uses Mitch Cruz, so maybe that was him just changing it up a little bit, using a different alias with the same last yeah. name. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, what's in a name? <laughs> Speaking of names, another friend of the podcast, who we just spoke to last week, Rob Richer. He gets a shout out in the acknowledgments in the front of the book. So to my friend, Rob Richer, who helped give me the flavor of Beirut in the early 90s. And then at last to you, the reader. So we get a shout out too. <laughs> nice. So another like, I mean, we could talk a lot of a lot of pinpoints from specifically because right. we don't in our movie pod, we don't go too deep into book to movie comparisons. But I just got to point this out here. How could this being the dedication of the novel, they take away the Pan Am Lockerbie attack? Right. And turn it into some right. I don't know. That just really pisses me off. I'm already my blood is already it, boiling. The Pan Am Lockerbie attack is so central to Mitch's being, to his character, to his essence. And I feel like that automatically by stripping that from the movie, and yes, I know you need to make Certain adjustments for a movie, I understand the visual storytelling is very different, but to strip something so essential to the main, to our, our, our hero, our, you know, I almost said our love of our life, but that wouldn't have gone well, over at, with Rosie and Caroline. <laughs> Sometimes, every, you know, every once in a while, every night when I curl up with Mitch and on a Kindle, on the screen. Anyway, <laughs> it's getting weird. Yeah, how do you take that away from him? when you portray him on screen. I feel like that's just a big loss. So yeah, our movie ranting a few weeks from now. I think this is the last thing I'll say on it, but I think you could have had, yeah, you don't want to date yourself. Like obviously Pan Am happened, you know, much earlier than when True. they wanted to set the movie, but you could have easily just had a, a terrorist attack on, on a plane and conveyed True. the same, you know, thing. True. I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get a lot of things about the movie. So anyways, yeah. this is not the movie pod. This is the book pod. We'll save those for later. But yeah, yes. Speaking of the book, one last thing I really like. I told you I was highlighting away that Vince put in the acknowledgments. He thanked everybody, had a long list of people, as he always does. Very inclusive of all his support team. And then he wrote, quote, I have wanted to tell this story for 15 years. How did Mitch Rapp become Mitch Rapp? Crafting this novel has been one of the greatest thrills of my writing career. Thanks to you and your support, enjoy the read. Wow, 15 years in the making. That's awesome. He's been thinking about it. Yeah, I love it. All right, well, he's going to tell the story. Here it is, and we open up in Beirut. Like we just said, our friend Rob Richer really described the city and what it was like in the time period of the late 80s into the early 1990s. And Mitch is in action right away. He's on the ground. He's in the field. So even in the origin story, <clears throat> we start with a more familiar Mitch 
you know, he's at least been through his training. And we're going to do a flash, a flashback to start the book in chapter one. So the prelude, um, kind of cool, huh? Mitch gets taken. Yeah, I like the, you know, in medias res um, style here where, you know, we're, we're going to set Mitch get, you know, literally <laughs> it's a scene from Taken, right? Or where he, he allows himself to get taken and then we're not going to go back to it until we fully, you know, tell the entire story. So it really grips the reader, you know, right, right from the front. And I really enjoyed that. Instead of just starting off with like Irene watching him, you know, right. at a dojo in, in a strip mall. I love how they always bring that up. Like he, he was fighting MMA in a strip mall. Uh, how much could he learn from that? In like a um, couple of months. <laughs> yeah, in a couple of months. Apparently a lot. You can learn a lot. Well, like Hurley says, it depends on the teacher or maybe Doc says. Depends on if you have that, a good uh, And how motivated you are and how athletic you are. So. Right, right. This scene is just the descriptions of definitely, you know, describing Beirut. You know, I think it starts like Mitch looks at himself in the mirror and sees this right. man who I don't even, I feel, I get the feeling that he doesn't really know who he is or he's like sort of questioning himself a little bit. Right. And then he sort of steals himself and is like, all right. I'm doing this, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go get Hurley back, you know, spoiler alert, like, <laughs> that's what I got to do, I got I to allow myself to get taken in order to get my boys out, so yeah. I, I like that sort of inner monologue between him and, and himself in the mirror, right. and the, uh, you only get a couple of sentences about it, but it's just like palpable off the pages. Yeah, it makes him real too, he, he doesn't recognize who he's become. And it draws us in as the reader wanting to know more about that journey. If even Mitch doesn't recognize who he's become looking in the mirror, how are we, the reader, going to be pulled into that story? Right. But yeah, he, he wants to get taken and he makes it very clear. He looks like a tourist. I think he has a map and he goes down an alley and he sees a guy leaning against a wall. He's like, I bet that guy's going to spring off that wall quicker than you expect. And the guy jumps out with a, you know, a nightstick. But you're right. Um, Hurley's taken. Another friend is taken. It says, one he respected, admired, and liked. The other, Hurley, he respected, admired, and hated. <laughs> We're getting more you know, hints, foreshadowing of why is it Rap hates this guy, yet he's risking his life to save him. Right. And another reason for that, Vince writes, is warriors don't like leaving their own to die at the hands of the enemy. Because secretly, they all know they might be in the same position one day. And they sure as hell hope their country will do everything in their power to get them back. Well, we're going to find out. That's part of Rap's training. Knowing full well they will not do everything in their power to get him back. That's how deep his cover is going to have to go. He doesn't exist. Yeah, it's mentioned like multiple times. Like during the the next sort of couple chapters we get is uh, Mitch being taken to Lake Anna. You know, to this farm in, in this farmhouse in doing all this training, right? And Hurley says, you are a ghost. You are a nobody. You, if you get caught, the government is not going to acknowledge who you are. Right. You know, we, we, we don't negotiate with terrorists for hostages. We're, we're definitely not, you know, negotiating with terrorists for for your sorry ass. You know, right, you are, exactly. and if you're okay with that, then, you know, you, you have to be okay with it. Right. So, right. Again, we're not going to talk about it till the movie, but, there is a nod to that in the character of Ghost and um, why he's doing what he does in the movie. So I guess kind of a nod to this writing and what Vince was going for with that. But Barely. 
Yeah, little nod to it, not much else. You, since you mentioned the uh, the Lake Anna House, which is not the traditional farm, right? Right. The it's CIA not the real training farm. pipeline. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. not the it's Camp like... Perry um, farm. But it's Hurley's domain, let's say. Hurley the boss. What he wants goes at the Lake Anna farmhouse. This is the, I'm presuming this is the same house that um, Mitch and Mike Nash take uh, the guy from, right. what, what What book is it? Oh, Pursuit of Honor, right? In the last book we just read? Yeah, it's The Extreme Measures Pursuit of Honor. Continuum. Yes. Of, yeah. Sequel, prequel thing, yeah. Yeah. I think it is because they even mentioned then that Hurley built it out. He built a more fortified bunker, I think, in the basement. Oh, right. Since and, since this time. Right, and right. I think they do say this was they, they do give a nod to this is where, you know, many recruits have trained under Hurley. So, yep, I think same house still around in Pursuit of Honor and Hurley still uh, r- running the show. Yeah. And when when Rap gets there, we start off with a pretty big bang, right? He he comes up to Hurley and I don't know why he's cracking, but just sort of sees that he, in order to speed things up, he's like, I know you're going to give me shit. And the only way to stop you giving me shit is we need to fight right now. Yep. Yep. Like, what did you think of Mitch's like reasoning behind that and wanting to do that? I think it's brilliant because he because Hurley's giving him all the shit about and he even says to Hurley. If you're as good as I'm hearing from everybody and I should be scared of you, you're going to know within 20 seconds of looking at me whether I have the goods or not. So if you're going to make your judgment that quick, we might as well jump into it. And Rap's like, I just want to get to the training where you create me into a terrorist killer and hunter. And so let's get the bullshit out of the way and let's go to the mat. So I think it's a great read by Rap. And any time you can catch a Hurley and when she finds out a Kennedy off guard and put that type of person on their heels, you've done something right. Even if you're getting yourself into the shit by doing it, you're doing something right if you catch a Stansfield, Hurley, and Kennedy off guard. So um, I think it's a good play. Yeah, and you know, speaking of the fight, we through the fight we are in mostly, I think we're in entirely uh, Hurley's head during the fight, right? right. And the descriptions of this fight are, are pretty cool. It'd be interesting to talk to you, the the um, the guys who who discuss you know hand to hand combat and pretty much all all like combat um, uh, about this fight in particular. And we see like a progression. Like Hurley is very cocky in the beginning, right? And then he's like, "All right, he's going to do this," and just like thinking about what he thinks Mitch is going to do. And then when he go to counter that, he realizes almost instinctively, "Oh shit, Mitch is not there anymore." You know, oh, and then he, you know, gets yep. gets a side blow or something. He's and quicker the, the than only, he thought. The only way he wins his fight is by breaking two of the rules that they that they said: right. don't grab the nuts and don't, no, don't face. no 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 face and no face no like, nuts no no face no nuts and so yeah, like the only way Hurley wins his fight is by cheating. Now, two things I want to talk about there because even. Even the subtle details of what Hurley's thinking during the fight, like, shit, he's faster than I thought. Um, Oh, I underestimated him. Goes back to a conversation Irene had in the car. Or at least we get some some thinking from Irene on the drive into the farm. 
she's talking or thinking about recruiting rap and why he stood out and she was following him. So the same way Hurley is going to get caught off guard in the fight, rap already did that to Irene because she's tracking him and you know, she's one of the best of the best and she has notes and notes that she was working on collecting a file for him. And then one day when she goes to confront rap, rap goes, why have you been following me this whole time? And she's at a loss for words. She even go, like, goes back through her notes and is like, where did I slip up? Right. How, she said she agonized over it yeah. for hours and couldn't find a mistake. And this is one of the top professionals in the in you know this industry. And Irene is racking her brain. Where did I mess up? What did I miss? And her only conclusion is Rap had superior situational awareness. He just can read a situation and take in – like his brain is firing with all these inputs and stimuli – and so she moved his file right to the top of the stack. So basically, from that scene to the fight scene, Hurley and Kennedy have been put on their heels, caught off guard by this kid, and both of them realize he's got something special. Hurley won't admit it yet. He had to break no. the rules and cheat to win it, and he's going to he's gonna still fight to try to kick Rap out. He's going to break some other rules, too, to try to get him to drop out, you know? He, he's he's going to do everything he can to get him to drop out and try to get, you know, Doc and Stansfield to, to kick him out. But he realizes this kid has something special if he can read a situation on on the mat with me and be a step ahead. So pretty cool stuff. I think that that's – it's great that Vince made Mitch a lacrosse star, you know? Right. I, I guess you could have had him be any sort of – you could have – like you, you couldn't really because of – you wanted, he wanted to have Mitch be sort of a skinnier dude, very athletic, run really well. And when you think about how how lacrosse game goes, you have to, and if you are like a lead, you know, striker on, I've never played lacrosse, but just imagining, and it's the same in basketball, right? The best point guards, right? I, I'd imagine like Mitch would be a very good point guard, right? Where he could like read the entire floor mm-hmm. or on lacrosse pitch, you know, read the entire pitch, see where all his men are, make the proper passes. And that's why he has this attuned, hypersensitive situational awareness. And then also all of the, physical characteristics of and i love when he's going through the training and he's thinking he's like i could run fat i could you know they're they're yes. we're running like a six minute clip i could do like a five minute clip but i, I don't want to sh- you know outshine there's certain show. things you 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 show you're the front of the class there's other things where you're just being an asshole yeah so I, that too is just rap calculating as a what very 20, calculating 23 year old kid He's looking at these other guys with much more experience in terms of military training. And even on the obstacle course, he's doing the same thing. He pretends to be more winded than he is at the end, knowing that might have an advantage if other people underestimate him one day. It can help give him the upper hand. Like, that's some top-level spy shit. And he just intuits that, you know, as a 23-year-old kid. And then also he on the even, obstacle course, he's trying to get in line. He's yeah, lining I was say up. That. He he places himself in a certain position, hoping that he can actually because he's not, he hasn't run this course, whereas yeah. the other guys have been there for a couple of days. He placed him like fourth in line. Him thinking that he'll be able to see at least two people go all the way through it. Unfortunately, because they they go off like so quickly, he can only see like part of it. But yeah, like he has that situational awareness to place himself in a in a like I don't know. I'm not Mitch Rapp, so if I put was put in that situation, I don't know where I would go. I would just get in line, you know. I just cower in the back of the line. <laughs> right. I try to go to the back, just like to be. To be well, it's like one of the last, most but... horrifying experiences ever from PE class. 
when they made us do the pull-ups in front of everybody. Oh, oh yeah, that was the that, was, that that they shouldn't do that. That was they the put everybody crisscross applesauce. I wouldn't say Indian style cross-legged because it's not allowed anymore. But everyone sitting on the floor in the gym, looking at the pull-up bar, and they call your name. And me, you know, the fat ass kid who always got excused for asthma has to go up. I, I basically every year would just go touch the bar, sit down. I wouldn't even try because what am I going to do? Spend 10 seconds. Can't pull you know up. What? No, just touch the bar, sit down. They were forced to have four guys lift me up so I could like actually like lift me up and then put me down. Like, I love that. What? Teamwork. That's yeah, a good message. What's, the, what's the point of that? What's the point of that? <laughs> I couldn't do one. I was so fat. I couldn't do one. I remember the mile. Oh, I hated the mile. Uh, yeah, me too. Oh my god! I every year I, I would always to get cheat a at the mile. Note. I would always cheat at the mile. Oh, I'd always be cutting corners. I wanted to be sick on that day. I just wanted to make any excuse to stay home on the mile day. We uh, we didn't have a track, so we ran around the parking lot and same. Appar- apparently, my coach had like ran drove it in her car and figured out that it was like roughly 10 lap roughly 10 10 laps was a mile and so like it's easy to track when you're doing four miles like all right did this kid actually do four miles well with 10 you have like 30 some kids so i would you just had to put up your fingers how many you doing i like uh, yeah. roughly around lap. like seven <laughs> around seven i would i would i would skip to like nine or, or six i would skip to like eight or something like that you know oh man that's good stuff i but wish i could go back and fair. do the mile now because i would uh I would crush my, yeah. my mile time. You're the runner now. That's right. Well, I'm not I'm not a real runner. I can't do a five-minute clip like Mitch Rabb, but I, I, I could at least break eight, I think. Which yeah. is, I mean, people listen to this pod, and they're like, eight. Like, that's not fast <laughs> at all. Like, I, I used to be 330 pounds. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah, there used to be two Chris's. There used to be two Chris's, and I shed one of them. Yeah, you did. You're a whole Chris down. <laughs> so. Oh, that's funny. You notice, though, we've been at the farm for quite a while. What do you think? Because I think this is a bit out of character. It's a different style Vince is taking by leaving us for eight chapters in a row. Chapters one through eight, we're all in the same scene. We're with Mitch. We're with Hurley. We're learning about the training. The fight goes down. We didn't even cut or jump to the B-plot or the terrorist plot yet. I, I like that. I think... That makes this scene a hallmark. And I think chapters one through eight in American Assassin might just be definitely in my top two or three scenes ever in all Metrap. From Kennedy dropping him off to the fight and the training. I love that we don't cut scene and jump to something else in the middle of it. Makes it memorable. Uh, Yeah, I think it just goes to show how important Vince thought this was that no other story plot needed to, you know, it, it's gripping enough. Uh, they people really want to just read this. Let's not distract them with any other information. You know, I right. this is so important to his development and really becoming. You're seeing for the first time Mitch becoming Mitch. So yeah, no, I I, I love the fact that we don't, you know, because that's one of the things sometimes I, I don't like because I I just want to keep keep staying with one one character or one or right. one story plot i want to i want to know and I, I don't care about going back to we get a little bit later on where you know we're going over to the um the syrian guy who he goes over to russia and it's like i, I don't really care about that yet like yeah. give me back with hurley and rap when they're in germany you know right like so true so but yeah i just think it shows how how important uh vince thought this whole section was 
also, I think sometimes that's required to build the hype and the tension. I think of like Memorial Day. In the back of our minds, we're thinking, who is that terrorist who just took right. that boat through the Florida right. Keys and landed in a swamp? Uh, you know, who are these terrorists and what are they doing training in South America, you know, in right. um, whichever one that was. So it builds the hype. But here, we don't need that distraction. We don't need that hype. We had the prelude, one, and we know what Mitch is going to do throughout his career. So we we don't need, I think, that uh, – that hook to catch us because we're totally caught with what's going on here. And it allows other characters and their dynamics, not in a faraway place, you know, cut scene, but right here, because you have not only, like we mentioned the Kennedy Hurley conflict of, you know, Kennedy wants him and knows he fits the profile. Hurley calls him a little punk who has no experience and refuses to accept him. Then you get Victor who right. rap is onto something. Why is this loud mouth recruit who's also slower than all of us, never getting yelled at by the instructors and someone who would stand out in a crowd. He would stand out in a crowd. He's he's his neck looks like a, a thigh muscle. Like it's your, it looks like a leg and raps like they would never be able to, that guy does not fit the description of this job. And rap is already thinking I'm going to have to eliminate him because he's getting special treatment and there's something deeper here, which I don't know what it is. Later on, he does conclude he's an instructor. Right. Yeah. One other thing about the training that's interesting to me, right? So why are, why are we having this training? What's the purpose of this? And we don't find out really until later on what we have, you know, learned about this from previous books, right? It's the Orion team. This is, we're looking right. at the birth of the Orion team. And the CIA has been taken out by diplomats and America has got out of the game. And this is even referenced by, I think, the Russian and also... Uh, Syed. I'm blanking on his name. Syed, yes. And how they're out of the game. Yeah, we don't strike back. But now they want to get back in. And Stansfield is now in charge. We're, he's not yet the director, but he's now the director of operations. You know, And he's this war, war dog veteran from, you know, he went behind the iron curtain. You know, we, we've learned about all of in previous books about all of his, uh, you know, endeavors. Right. And he is a hands-on guy. So he, right. he wants, people are getting picked off in Lebanon, right? They're, they're taking American businessmen. They're, they're taking our operatives and right. they're torturing them. Like, but we're not hitting back. Right. So we need boots on the ground and this is one way to do it. And exactly we need people that are going to go into urban places, blend in. Yes. It, another reason why rap is able to deduce that Victor can't go in an urban place. He'd stick out like a military thumb. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons ultimately why rap gets chosen, you know, not many of the reasons, but he's raw. He, he doesn't look like he's, he doesn't scream military training, you know? Right. So he can go into these places. I'm, I'm sure later on, Wrap in, you know, transfer of power or wrap in, not transfer of power, but well, wrap in transfer of power. Um, or any of the books we've read, you see him now, and it's like, oh, yeah, he's definitely like an operative, especially the you know, the way he looks. But I, I, I always vision rap looking a little bit different than, well, like, like, let's say a Scott Coleman, right? Sure. Scott was oh, in charge, yeah. of, in charge of the seals, big time, screams military, rap just screams killer. <laughs> yeah, right. 
Right. A secret like killer. Secret killer. Well, here you mentioned Stansfield and we've got to give a nod to him. I feel like the second half we'll talk more about his exploits with Hurley back in the day because Hurley does a lot of reminiscing. <laughs> um, he shares a lot of stories about what he's been through. And so I, I feel like we're going to get there. But Stansfield shows up here. He does visit the farm. He's interested in Kennedy's recruit. And all the blame is going to be on him, right? So if, if Stan is right that Rap is just this little, you know, scrawny kid who we can't have do this kind of job and isn't cut out for it, ultimately Stansfield's going to take the hit because he greenlit the Orion team. He appointed Kennedy to get the people and Hurley to select them. So he's going to take the hit. And then he explains it like this. The game was changing. They needed a weapon more surgical than any guided bomb or cruise missile. Having spent many years in the field himself, Stansfield also knew this person would have to be uniquely autonomous, someone who conveniently had no record. And then Kennedy later on says, As her mentor, Thomas Stansfield, told her many times, great spies don't complain about the rules. They find ways around them. And that goes to both the victor and the fight with Hurley. Victor's breaking all these rules and getting away with it. Hurley breaks the rules in the fight, grabs Rap's nuts, seems to get away with it. And so Rap's starting to put together this picture that this training all about discipline and whatnot is bullshit. This training's not about discipline. This training's about doing whatever it takes. And that third objective that they're trying to get with the Orion team is not, you know, uh, symmetrical warfare. We hit them like they hit us, you know, or... You know, just retribution. They did this to us. We do a little thing like this. We hit some, you know, arms depots. No, this training is about breaking the rules, doing whatever it takes for our definition of justice. Retribution, as Vince is going to explain to the doc, you know, retribution. They're going to find ways around the rules because that's all that matters. And Rap's getting this as part of his education by watching Hurley break rules, watching Victor break rules. And Rap says enough is enough and decides to break Victor's arm. Love that fight scene. Another fight. Another fight scene. Towards the end That's of great. their training. You know, I mentioned Doc Lewis a lot. We got to talk about him, no? Yes. We, we get a little backstory on him as well. He's a you know, former military. I think it's also mentioned that he looks very, you know, powerful. Not not. At first, I was thinking of Doc Lewis. I guess when we first meet him in one of the earlier books, I always envisioned him as like, I don't know, your typical psychiatrist. Right. But here he's, you know, he rides a motorcycle. Yeah. Flowing blonde locks. He, a little bit of a badass, but he's also like cultured. He likes good wine. He likes good food. Um, he's an interesting character. I would love yeah. to see like a, a, we don't see, we haven't seen much more of him, you know, after this one, maybe kill shot. I would love like a, a Dr. Lewis book. You could do a lot with that, especially because he, he mentions that he talks to, you know, some senators, but a lot of like senators' wives and, you right. know, you could do a lot with that character. So, yeah, Doc Lewis, very integral part in, in really like assessing that Mitch is the guy um, and that they need to, Hurley needs to get over whatever he has, right. you know, problems with, with Mitch and see that, sure, we, we miss the fact that he, he can fight, but the better thing that we should take from that is that it took him six months to, to do something like that. And 
he he's a really good listener or not listener but a really good learner you know if you teach him something he will learn it and he will perfect it and he will make it better you, even with with the shooting scene right mitch knew that going into it he wasn't he, like he was most likely going to be going up against people who are better shots than him clearly uh you're going against like some navy seals some marine you know sniper people and but the i think the one of the sergeants who decides to to stay back um and give him some pointers like by the end of their their third clip, Mitch, you know, has most of the shots within like a concentric circle, right. and the sergeant says, "You're coachable, kid. That's good." Yeah. You know, yeah, quick learner. And I think even by by the time we get to the Hamburg uh, scene, the operation, you know, which is I think only like six more months in the future, yep. maybe eight more months in the future. Hurley says, "You know, you're not as good as me, kid." but you're still pretty good. You know, like within eight months, like Hurley's calling him good. So obviously he's, right. he's becoming really good with the gun, which we know he's going to be great with the gun. I just think back to that scene in extreme measures where it's like thir- like less than 30 seconds. He takes out five guys, right? Or six guys. Right. So. And he learned that. Oh, and the scene right in transfer here. of power where he's like going through the, through the, like, look at, look at him now. Right. Barely could hold a gun, not barely hold a gun, but like, Barely, most of it was in a in the vicinity of the body. Um, he couldn't to, really shoot. Yeah, no, to placing shots exactly where he wants them. Right. You know, he's he progresses a lot in, in that front. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that just speaks to Hurley and his trainers and the team he put together. The only thing in the way of Hurley being successful with starting the Orion team is his own ego. And Kennedy and Doc Lewis are just chipping away at Hurley saying, like, we know he can't shoot. We know he doesn't have military training and experience, but that's why he's multiple. You know, we have a blank slate. He doesn't have to unlearn bad habits. He's actually got some pretty good ones. And he has this instinctual situational awareness, like, this meets our profile. And and Hurley, you know, over time he's going to crack. But only thanks to Doc Lewis did you catch Rap did actually quit. He did. Rap tapped out after the Victor fight, and Hurley comes in the middle of the night, beats the shit out of him in the middle of the night, beats the crap out of him, runs him into the ground, and then says, let's rematch. And Hurley obviously wins, and Rap is thinking, wait, Hurley didn't win. He fucked me. He woke me up at 4 a.m., beat the crap out of me, beat the daylights out of me, made me run and train the whole day, then fought me in the afternoon. Like, that's that's not an even footing. And so Rap's sick of it. Hurley's telling him, we want to throw you out because you you broke Victor's arm. He's one of our friends. He's He doesn't tell him he's one of the instructors, but Rap pretty much knows by now. And Rap says, it's all bullshit then. If you guys break the rules, but I can't break the rules, and you're training me to do a job that requires us all to break the rules and figure this shit out, and you don't recognize that I'm doing that, I'm done with it. He starts walking away. He literally says, I quit. And Doc Lewis says, you're ready. You're ready. Don't leave. I will actually promise you that we'll get to the real training. We'll teach you how to be an assassin. Uh, You're even going to learn our names. Um, And Doc Lewis convinces him to stay and says, we're taking you to the next level of your training. And that actually causes him to graduate, if you will. Yeah. It's like Mitch unlocks the purpose of the first couple days. You know, he realizes what the situation is and that this is not, this is not boot camp. This is not basic, you know, no, it's it's something different. Yep. 
He even says to Doc Lewis, hopefully you're going to turn me into a weapon, a killer. And the doc says, so if it comes to it, you'd have no problem taking another man's life? Well, that depends. On what? Who the guy is? And more important, what he's guilty of. And that's when Doc Lewis says, you're ready, kid. And Rap explains his theory on retribution and how that does square with his Catholic you know, dogma. And, and the doc even tries to corner him and say, hey, but you're a Christian. That won't really you know, go well with your, your Lord and Savior's teaching of forgiveness and turn the other cheek. And Rap goes, bullshit. I hate when people do selective theology. And Doc's like, what are you talking about? He goes, you just picked a New Testament line that people love to throw around for one purpose. Let's look at the text as a whole. And he throws some Old Testament quotes at him and says, see, retribution's also in the Bible. And so now Doc Lewis is like, there's a whole nother psychological thing going on, but we need this dude, you know, out in the field. Right. It, it really shows Mitch's mental capacity. You know, maybe he could be a uh, grad student at Brown studying theology. <laughs> no, 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 no. Do not, do not go there. Do not go there. Do not another, go there. Another, another, uh, Another fail from from the movie. Anyway, American assassin movie. Yeah, I mean that. So, you know what that reminded me though when he's going back and forth with Doc Lewis, and even the Doc is surprised of Rap's mental gymnastics that he's already in his mind kind of figured this all out and the way he sees the world. That reminds me of the committee rooms. All the times right. Mitch is in a committee room, and he's thinking a step ahead of the argument of the politicians and the senators. The way he's doing that and outmaneuvering Doc Lewis in his conversations, to me, shows how he's going to grow and be able to do that with the highest levels on Capitol Hill and in the executive branch and still outmaneuver, outreason, and outargue them. And also in terms of when he's doing interrogation, you know, like. Right, right. In, in the various forms that we see him trying to gain information from, you know, anyone, whether it be a terrorist or someone who's implicated, you know, we just see that he has this capacity to outthink and, and think quickly in order to get what he wants out of his subject or yep. manipulate the subject by, you know, because he'll throw some similar things that he was talking about religion with the doc, with the religion in terms of the terrorists. He'll do know? that with he, the terrorists. He, he'll yep. do the same thing. We've seen it, you know, yep. it's it's great. And I guess that's one of the benefits of writing this origin story uh, what what book is this? Fifteen, right? Or you know, fifteen yeah. years after the first book comes out, so you can really show how Mitch has had these same inclinations, these same uh, attributes from the very beginning that we've seen throughout the other books. Right. That's the farm, man. That's, yeah, I love it. That is some memorable writing. Amazing dynamics between characters gripping stuff from Vince. 15 years to think of and plot out and plan the story and boy did he deliver. He was just ready for it. Anything else you want to cover from the farm area or should we should we jump into what's going on in Beirut because we do have the terrorist plotting. Yes. We do have a lot going on there. Right. Which so, later on is where Rap's going to get captured. So we know Beirut is going to play a role is going to with play Rap a role. coming yep. at some point. Yeah, so Rap like quote unquote graduates, right? Gets gets his six months of training, and I, I guess his timetable is stepped up because of what's going on in Beirut, right? They they've taken a a couple businessmen, they've even captured a CIA, a couple CIA operatives, 
who, you know, one Stansfield did not want to send in and, and another that just got taken. And so Raph's ready to be unleashed. And so we, we meet this group, uh, a lot of different players, right? We have right someone who's in charge or in charge of intelligence for Syria. We have another like head of Fatwa. We have an, um, an Iranian guy, a Palestinian guy, right? We, we have a sort of a who's who of what's going on with the under, under, underground underworld of, of Lebanon. And this is, this is going to be the the main story that, you know, sort of takes uh, over the second half of the book. Right. And it's less about, we have to go get our guys back. Like rap's not being trained to go get some guys back. He's being trained to show the enemy we're willing to hit back. And you, you can't do this to us and get away with it uh, and to keep him in check. So, yeah, they got our guys. We're ready to send the Orion team after him. And so here's what I love. You mentioned it, this team that's assembled in Beirut. Because I, I have heard this criticism, and I think it's very legit of some, not just thrillers, but some elements of Western media. Right. Movies, TV, books. It's always the big, bad Arab terrorist. And that is the. The description that is the essence of the character. Bad guy, evil and Arab. Well, Vince does not do that at all. He does not tell a single story about the villains. Instead, he gets at a deeper and real world dynamic and even jumps into the internal divisions of these groups of terrorists where you said like there's a Syrian intelligence officer running the show in Lebanon, which was absolutely true. Damascus was like the one pulling the strings. But then again, the Iranians are on the ground. There's a Quds Force commander, Colonel Jalil, which shows the Shiites are playing a role in Lebanese politics, which is Hezbollah. They were literally funding a proxy terrorist group to do their dirty work in the Israel-Palestinian uh, territory, Lebanon region, so that the the Iranians were really pulling the strings. And then finally, there's this guy from Fatah, the Palestinian organization of basically refugees across the border from Israel, and they're looked down upon. So to me, there's not a single story of like all people from the Middle East are like this. He's really showing these divisions. And Sayed, even at one time, who's the the Syrian, he says they look down on the Palestinians like trash. He's like, Fatah is just a bunch of thugs. The only thing we'll use Palestinians for is as a buffer from the Jews or as cannon fodder against the Christian militias. Like, these guys have divisions based on their ethnicities. And Vince really gets at that. And, and I think a city like Beirut in the late 80s and the 90s, these power players were not just Lebanese or Palestinian. There were Iranians pulling the strings. There were the Syrians, you know, involved. And I think it's really important that Vince has those characters and represents those perspectives instead of just making there's an Arab terrorist. Right. I think that's important. He he captures like what's actually going on over there. Right. And it gives more context to you know, this is not just some made up story of you know, some some guy from Saudi Arabia or some guy from Kuwait, you know, some guy from Iraq has w, has a WMD and wants to take us out, you know, like no. whatever. It's 
it's getting at, all right, this is what's actually going on. This is why we need to assemble the Orion team. This is what they're doing. Yes, it's fictionalized, but you could see something like this actually happening. And we're placing Mitch in this real story. Right. Speaking of the real story, we're going to have a guest in a few weeks as well, who quite literally wrote the book on Beirut. (laughs) I reached out to Fred Burton, one of our followers on social media, someone we've been listening to, and he was also on Jack Carr's Danger Close podcast, talking about his career um, in intelligence, and he even wrote a book, Beirut Rules, which is all about this time period, from the cap, you know, kidnapping of our station chief, uh, William F. Buckley, to the Civil War in Lebanon, to Reagan sending in the Marines. Like, there's he basically covers this whole time period. So I'm really excited to ask him about these descriptions that Vince gives us, because the same way Vince is describing the texture of these meetings between the Islamic Jihad, he's also giving us the feel of the city. I loved how this martyr square was created and it was a bombed out neighborhood from the Civil War. And you had the Maronite Christian militias claiming land basically taking over bombed out apartment buildings just to gain another inch of territory. So then the Shiites would move in and they would take a few buildings on the other half of the, the square. They'd have full, you know, fully armed weapons and armaments at pointed right at each other, but it's a ceasefire. So even during a ceasefire in the civil war, the Shiites are outmaneuvering because this is really a majority Sunni area who for a while during the ceasefire were actually quite peaceful in a time of detente with you know the the Christians, the Druze, and all the other uh, minority groups living in the region. And Iran decides to get in, right? And send in kind of Islamic Hezbollah and other people to prop up Islamic Jihad. And it's like the people on the ground did not want that. They were the ones stirring the pot, even in a time of peace. And I love the tension that Vince is building just by looking at the city of Beirut and who's taking which buildings and which areas. And there's this green line. It's like a scar across the city, a no man's land. And they're slowly inching closer and closer. The Christian militias on one side, the Shiite armies of Islamic Jihad on the other. And I just love that kind of writing. So we're going to talk to Fred Burton about how realistic that is and what Vince captured about this time period in a really, really fascinating part of history. Yeah, that, and I love this other description of how I think either one of the drivers like makes a movement or changes how he drives or, or like ducks under something and he realizes, oh, sorry, it's a force of habit. Like I don't need to do that anymore because it's it's a ceasefire. But because they're in this area that, you know, normally in the past you wouldn't cross or you wouldn't dare be driving through it. Um, but this tension is still in them because it's so raw. It's, it's so, you know, fresh that they would have this in there. I, 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 those little touches just add right. way, way more nuance to the story than, right. you know, just describing some generic scene. Right. And Rob told us last week, you know, who was station chief uh, in many places throughout the region and later chief of Near East Division at the CIA, he said, Vince gets that right and takes our stories and makes them real. Like the story about dogs, how rap is always a little uneasy with dogs. That was yeah, Rob in Yemen we... shooting at wild dogs attacking him. And We get a lot of that here. Right. We'll bring Fred on to say again how Vince, you know, knocked this out of the park, describing 
the tensions of Beirut. All right. So the next thing that we get is Rap going on his first mission. First kill. And getting his first kill, right? So it's been six months. I I, I love this. There's this one line where Rap, Rap's like, yeah, it's been six months, and I've slowly been seeing that I, I'm drifting away from my friends because mm-hmm. he has this new new drive, new passion in life. And he's like, it's not that I, I don't like my friends anymore. I, he's always been, he said he's always been a guy that relied heavily on his friendships. You know, even as a kid, he would, you know, walk, he couldn't walk by a park or a field and, and not hop on and, and, and play with somebody that he knew. But now he has a, a different purpose, a different call. And he's, this man on this on on a one way mission to to be the integral part of the Orion team, and he's tasked to go to Istanbul, where he his first target is an arms dealer, a dirty arms dealer who's been supplying arms to many different terrorists and, and Russians, and he's sent to be the first the first guy in, do surveillance, set up, make sure the safe house is all good. And we get some really cool spy stuff in this book. Mm-hmm. I. I I love the spy stuff. Like that's one of the reasons why I love the third option. Just like the amount of spycraft that, that we get to see Mitch do. I, I love when we see Mitch do spycraft because he, he is a spy. He's yes, he's an assassin. Yes, he's an operative, but but he's a spy, and I, I love when we see that. And right, he he goes in to the building. I think he has something. Is is fit, I'm blanking on what it specifically was, but one of the guys that technology made him this thing to to scan the room and he gets his briefcase that is in the bottom drawer and pops it out and has like you know assortment of guns the dossier and he he reads the dossier he studies it all on Sharif and this is going to be a key thing that is brought up later with his conversation with Stansfield you know critiquing why he, he decided to act before because the plan is right. He comes in, checks it out, does surveillance, runs, runs surveillance on him. Then Hurley and Richards come in, who is Fred from, he's the other guy that made it out of the training. His real name is Richards. And they're going to be there and there's a different plan. I, I don't know if we actually ever figure out what they were actually going to do. Um, probably Hurley was going to kill him, right? <laughs> so, but in, upon reading this, this dossier, Mitch, like something pops into Mitch's head. This would be a good opportunity to take him out. Right. And then the next morning that leads him to go on a run, you know, with a weapon. And when he sees his opportunity, he gets revenge (laughs) or retribution and, and takes him out. But it's like this little scene that the fact that he can read something like he, he, he got the information hours right. before and, and realizes all right actually whatever we're going to do that that's not what we should do we, sh- we need to get in get out i see a, i see an opportunity yes he probably shouldn't have sat next to him but still <laughs> like that's what stansfield sees in him and, and that's why stansfield decides to stick with him you know the the fact like he, he it's not like he read it a week ago and he was planning this whole thing out it's like before i go to bed i'm thinking about it and then boom i make the call to action right there and it's a it, I think everyone agrees that that was a good call to do that. His antics, maybe not, but you know, that, that report plays a really important role because you're right. Rap reads it and figures out there's an opportunity here. 
So he has that situational awareness and can visualize what's going on and the right time to act, even through the written word, right? Reading a report and in his mind, he can formulate that plan and pick it apart and find, oh, this guy has a routine where he walks the dog same time every week. He sits on this bench in the park, which kind of reminded me of Louis Gould. Mm. Louis Gould in Consent to Kill, planning in the park. And he's like, it's just too easy. I could follow someone into the park, know where all the security cameras are, pop them, get out, make it clean. And I feel like Rap Put some balloons up. (laughs) he, he, He put the balloons up, block the cameras. Rap instinctually sees that. Park, bench, routine. He walks this way every day. I don't know if there's a parallel at all between the two, but in my mind... That helps me see that Vince is saying, remember that guy, Louis Gould, who who nearly and should have killed Rap? Rap is going to be even better than him because Rap can do this as a 23-year-old kid with, what, six right. to eight months of training. <laughs> right. And we're seeing that same kind of thinking and expertise and follow-through, even though he's going to get reamed out for it. Hurley's like, kick him out. He broke protocol. Kennedy's a little like, oh, shit, Mitch, like, this is your first time out on the field, and he went for it. And then Stansfield even talks to them about it. And there's another cool detail about the report. Because Rap is the talking Brits. to Stansfield and says, and the British supplied us all the intelligence on Sharif when I was in Istanbul. And Stansfield's like, who told you that? And he goes, ha, no one told me that. But I know it from the report. Stansfield's like, what the fuck? The report didn't say the Brits. Rap just read the sentence structure and the cadence of the language and how... Right. It was for in the syntax and knew syntax. this was not an American writer. Like this dude's right. good. He's he's really good. Like this kid's a twenty three year old out of college. He's a prodigy, and has never you know it's not like he's been in 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 the service for for years. He's he's fresh, and the fact that he's able to pick up on these little minute details, it's it's amazing, and you really see how skilled he is. Now here's something though, because we're gonna come full circle with this. Retribution, not revenge. I was also thinking of another theme. Never make it personal. Mm, yes. Kennedy tells that should him be in our, the car. That should be our title. Driving to the farm. Remember, it's never personal. And Rap in his mind goes, see, that's where we disagree. This whole thing is personal. It's always personal. And then Hurley tells him the same thing. Take the emotion out of it. Just be a cold-hearted killer. And Rap says, oh, okay. Nope. Rap in his mind is saying, it's personal. The reason I'm doing this is for retribution. Retribution is always personal because it's deserved. Well, when Rap's about to pull the trigger under his his uh, windbreaker, he looks at Sharif and says, I need to see him face to face. And in the moment, his emotions kind of take over, but in a good yeah. way, in a way that allows him to look at Sharif face to face and say, how do you sleep at night with what you've done? Because Sharif sold the specific materials in the Lockerbie bombing to Islamic Jihad through the Russians. He was the broker in Turkey from the Russians to uh, Syed and the terrorist groups in the Middle East. And Rap says, I need to see him eye to eye before I kill him. He has a phone. Rap through the windbreaker, shoots, shoots the phone the out phone. of his hand, <laughs> says, I'm not going to wait for him to spew lies at me. I ask him, how do you sleep with yourself? How do you, how do you put up with yourself at night knowing you did this? What, what, what? Boom. One, two, three, all in the bridge of the nose. 
It was great. He made it it's personal. Great, it's a great first kill. He made, he it, made it, personal. it personal. And that was the one thing I, I liked about the movie. Just just to jump in there. The scenes where Hurley is, is telling him to, you know, you can't make it personal. Because that ultimately will is a downfall. And mm-hmm. we do see, like, Mitch slip up a little bit later on in, mm-hmm. in other novels when he... Especially when I think about... um. Irene. I mean, ultimately, he gets Irene back in what? What is that? Protect and defend, right? Protect and defend. Yep. He he. Where and that's one of the reasons why they don't want him on that case. They he's too yep. close to the heart. It's too he's close, too to, close the vest. to her. Yep. He also tells Mike Nash in Extreme Measures, like, or is it Pursuit of Honor? Yeah. Pursuit when of they Honor. Take his yeah. kid. When they take his kid, like, it, it's too personal for you, man. You, you, you got to step can't, back. You, you got to step away. And to see rap. This is just the last book to see rap from then or now until then. You know, he's yeah. he's it's it's a flip, and he's realized that you can't you can't have these things. You have to sort of think about it rationally. And you know, I, I think every now and then it does flare up for rap, and it adds to a little bit of flair in, in, in situations. I think Kyle picked up on that. Looking long term, rap now in the game for what twenty thirty years, twenty well. Uh, just under 20 years. I think Kyle picked up on rap does change because if he's lying to Kennedy and Hurley and saying, well, secretly I'm going to be motivated by personal retribution, but I'm going to do it in such a honed way. It's going to drive my passion. It's going to fuel me combined with my situational awareness and that kind of, you know, head on a swivel mentality. He'll be okay and can get away with it being personal for a little while as he ages, as he has injuries as he sees how the you know the game is played, he's going to start changing and becomes a little bit more cynical. It's There are times where he has to check himself, almost turning into a robot assassin killer. And remember, you know, we don't take out innocent... Um, we don't take out cops. We don't take out innocent guys unless they're in bed with, you know, the bad guys. We don't take out bodyguards unless those bodyguards are, gar- uh, you know, guarding somebody and they willingly know, you know, know right, that right, they've done right. bad things. Rap has just become a little more cynical in his older age. And I think maybe Vince did little changes like that when he tells Nash to step back in pursuit of honor. And Kyle has ran with that and showed Vince really. And now Claudia is trying to tell modern day Mitch, you you might have to step back because your country might not even want you anymore. Mitch is dealing with deeper things. It's not just so personal. He's going to do it every time and get his personal revenge and go off and be a hothead. Claudia's trying to warn him like America's changing. You're changing. I think Vince would be proud that Kyle picked up on those shifts in character. Yeah. No, no that's great. I, I hadn't thought about that. That's that. That is really, yeah. Kyle definitely picked up on that, and I liked. I liked how rap has has changed a little bit in these past couple novels. Right. Well, what do you think? Rap's first kill. We'll pick up part two with the fallout, with the aftermath, when Kennedy gets a voicemail, and the voicemail has the cryptic code confirming that it was rap who made the kill. I kept on finding, uh, I was laughing because the guy who like comes in and says, after she gets that voicemail, his name is Max Powers. Was it, wasn't that a, a video game? Max Powers? Uh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. That That's just such an interesting name to choose for, for a guy. But anyways, <laughs> yes, no, this is a good place to stop. That, that was a great conversation about um, the farm and Raph's first kill, you know, first kill of many. Yeah. Can't wait to talk about it next time. Yes, and speaking of part two, 
man, do we have a lot to look forward to next week from hearing more about Hurley's exploits and his younger years in the field in Lebanon and other places. We even get to meet the Olmeyers and a certain lady, Greta, who is going to be such an important person in this part of Rap's life. Although we don't hear much about her at really any other point, but the scenes with her are, are pretty great, and that will also take us into Kill Shot as well. And then some really awesome action. You know Vince is the master of this closeout, race-to-the-finish line action sequence, and this one really pays off. Remember, he was taken, so we know he's captive in Beirut. We know there's somebody he hates, there's somebody he likes, that are their life is in his hands. And he's on the ground ready to get him back and do whatever it takes to get retribution. Lots to look forward to next week. All right. So next time, uh, when you hear from us, we will be discussing the rest of this book, American Assassin Part 2. And Mike, you want to hit him with that, uh, that Google voicemail again? Yeah, we want to hear from you, your thoughts on American Assassin. At the end of the month, we will uh, record or include some of your recordings that you leave for us, your memories, your ups, your downs, your love-hate for the movie, uh, anything at all you want to say. What would you think of Dylan O'Brien as Mitch Rav? You know, let us know. <laughs> uh, we want to put you on the podcast. So that Google Voice number is 202-599-7770. We look forward to hearing from you. Yes, and if you just want to say hi, you know, go for talk it. about anything, just just go for it. So love cool. to hear from you guys. Yeah, just even say, you know, hey, don't run this. I just want to let you know something. Feel free. Yeah. And there's always MitchRapPod at gmail.com. You can always hit us up, reach out, MitchRapPod, gmail.com. Yep. Again, we can't thank them enough, our patrons, including our special operator, Sherry F., our special agents, George, Matt, Dawn, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark. Please subscribe, rate, and review us using your favorite podcasting platform. Find us at MitchRapPod.com or on Twitter and Instagram at MitchRapPod. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch. Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster. But thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Guerrilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.